cause that church to grow spiritually, grow numerically, reaching people who are far from you. I pray the same, God, um, for the churches around us, uh, like Urban Rock and Cross Culture and Belmont Assembly and Bethany Baptist and City Lights and Legacy. And God, these churches and uh, these people who love you, uh, we pray for the brook, God. May we, your body, God, um, just do amazing things for you, God, um, that your name would be lifted high in our community. And so, Lord, uh, I, I pray even now, God, as I open your word, that your Holy Spirit would empower me in a fresh way. I thank you, Lord, that your spirit lives inside of me, and, and that's never going to change because of your steadfastness. Uh, but I pray you would speak through me now, Lord. And for others who are here today, uh, those who are just needing a word from you, God, uh, maybe they're just discouraged, Lord, uh, frustrated, afraid, and they just need to hear from their God. And, and God, I pray that your word would penetrate their hearts and that they can leave today saying, God met me here. And Father, for others today who, um, who, don't, know, who don't know where they stand when it comes to you, they hope that they're, they're going to go to heaven someday, but, uh, but they're just not quite sure. Lord, the Christian faith is not a hope-so faith. It's a no-so kind of faith, and we can know who we are because of Jesus. And I pray for that man, that woman today who doesn't know, that they would come to see that Jesus' death was enough for them. And that by faith, they need to turn from their sin and trust in him. And I pray that today they might do that. So, Lord, I pray you give uh, all of us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and give me lips to speak your word with courage and boldness and wisdom. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, January 15, 2009, uh, something pretty remarkable happened in New York City. You may have heard of it or seen the movie Sully, where pilot Chesley Sullivan landed a U.S. Airways flight 1549 in the Hudson River. As the story goes, and this is a true story, uh, when the plane took off from the airport, they hit a flock of geese that took out all their engines, and they couldn't make it back even to the airport. And he made a gutsy decision. Rather than attempt to get back to the airport, his own mental calculations realized it would have been a crash into the city, and his only option was to land the plane in the Hudson River. Wild. And so what it was was a daring thing he did when he had an unexpected turn of events in his life. What are the unexpected turn of events happening in your life today? What are the things that you took off thinking one thing and a whole different thing ended up happening to you? I know we've all got them. Uh, that's been our life for the last seven weeks as a family, and I'm sure for some of you it's been like that in the past or it's like that in the present or you know it's coming sometime down the road. But one thing that we do want to know, one thing we do want you to come away with today is that in the midst of what's an unexpected event for us is not unexpected for God. It's not unexpected for God. Today we come to the final message in our series on the book of Job in the Bible. I told Erica last night as I was reviewing my notes, I said, Job's been a, Job's been a good friend to me these last few weeks. Uh, I've, need, I've needed him in my life, uh, and I needed his God, of course. And I hope, uh, hope this book has been a, 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 just kind of a, a comfort to you who are maybe suffering or struggling and others who are looking for a word of encouragement. Man, I've been blessed out of my socks by this book. Um, it's crazy, about uh, eight weeks ago, before we started this series, I sat down with the elders of the church and said, you know, I think I'm going to preach through Job. I didn't have a, a clear direction from the Lord. I had all these different ideas, and I kept scrapping one plan after the other. And, and typically, I plan out about a year in advance 
what we're going to be preaching through. And I was coming under the gun about four weeks out, like, I'm not sure what we're doing here. And as I just kept praying and God kept leading us, and as we talked through things, we said, you know, we got to, let's talk about suffering. There's a lot of people in the church who are going through hardship in a variety of ways. Um, and I sat down yesterday writing in my journal saying, Lord, I didn't know that this was for me too. Um, but he's faithful, isn't he? We are in the book of Job. Job was a man who struggled much, and let's review his life. Would you turn your Bibles with me to the book of Job? It's smack dab in the middle of your Bible and a little to the left. Uh, If you find yourself in the book of Psalms, look at the book before that. That's Job. We're going to park today in Job 42, the very last chapter of the book. As you're turning there, I want to just make a, a note here. The book of James in the New Testament on the opposite side of the Bible is written to people, Christians, followers of Jesus who are going through hardship. And James is there trying to encourage them in the midst of their mess, in the midst of their pain. And in the end of the book, he says this. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast under hardship. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's James 5.11. I love how James says that. You've heard, he tells them, about Job's story. You know how it ends, and you see how God is compassionate and merciful to Job. Well, today we're going to look at how the story ends and see God's compassion and mercy to Job. A little bit of what we've already tasted of. What I'm going to do, I'm going to review the book from chapter 1 to chapter 42. And I'm going to do that for those of us who weren't around for the other parts of the series. And for other of us, just to put it back on our radar, okay? Uh, Because we need to know the context of this book to understand chapter 42 in its rightful place. The book of Job starts out in chapter 1 with giving us the qualifications of this man named Job. It says that he was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. That's the opening verses. That's something about the substance of Job's character. And then the book says that there was a day when the sons of God, the angelic beings, came to the God of this universe. And among them, in their company, came one who was called the adversary, which in Hebrew is Satan, which we get the word Satan. Satan comes in the presence of God, and God asks Satan, what have you been up to? And Satan says, I've been traveling this earth. And God knew that, of course. And then God knows his next answer to the next question. He says, have you seen my servant Job? You know, he's a blameless and upright man who fears me and turns away from evil. And in chapter 1, verse 9, Satan says something that puts this entire book into motion. He says, does Job fear you for no reason? And basically what Satan says, God, you've given him the holy hookup. He's got a good, wealthy, and healthy family. Life is great. His kids love you. His kids love each other. Things are great for Job. He loves you because of that. And God says, all right, Satan, he is in your hands. Just don't touch the man himself. One thing after another, a man comes to Job. Job, your camels, they were stolen by raiders, and all your servants were killed. I alone survived to tell you. And as he finishes words, the next person came. Job, your sheep were destroyed. A fire from heaven came and destroyed them, and all your servants died. I alone am here to, say, to, to tell you. I'm the only one who survived to tell you. And as he finishes words, another saying, Job, your children were in your oldest son's house having a feast. And this great wind came and 
knocked over the house. Everyone inside died except for me. I alone am left to tell you. And that Job's life was turned upside down. And then Job said, does this. It says that the Job shaved his head, tore his clothes, and worshiped and says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a man of character. Well, then another day came where Satan came before God and, and God says, have you seen my servant Job? He still holds on to his integrity. And Satan says, skin for skin, he's at least physically okay, even if everything else was lost. And God said, he's in your hands, just don't take his life. Job gets stricken with boils from head to toe. And it says that he takes the broken pottery from the ground and scrapes his boils because of the pain. And there his wife tells him, Job, do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And there Job has nothing. And his wife who survives is telling him to give up his faith. And Job says, should we accept good from God and not disaster or evil? He says, no, I'm not going to do that. And in all of that, it says Job did not sin. Well, then Job had three friends to show up. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and they come to him, and they're there for seven days. They don't speak a word. Job doesn't speak a word. They see him in his misery, and that's the wisest thing you can do sometimes for a friend is not say a word. And they were wise in this way. But when the time came, Job opened his mouth in chapter 3, and this man of great courage and faith in chapters 1 and 2, then in chapter 3 says, Curse the day I was born. It would have been better if I've never lived than if I suffered this way. We see him raw. A man who was constant is now struggling. And what we're reminded in that is that our emotions are real. God has given us our emotions. We tell our children, God gave you those tears. So it's okay to cry. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. And Job is there. And as we said before, he's walking in the valley of the shadow of death. And he's looking around and saying, Everything is lost, and he's struggling, but his friends are hearing this man, and they're thinking, no, you're wrong about that, Job. You must have done something wrong to deserve this. So one at a time, each of his friends give their reasons why they think Job is suffering like he, like he is. Eliphaz opens his mouth first, says, hey, Job, when you follow God, it leads to blessing, and when you turn away from God, it leads to destruction, and you're experiencing destruction, so clearly you've turned away from God. This is, this is 2 plus 2 equals 4 here, Job. And then Bildad speaks up and says, Job, God never perverts justice. He doesn't condemn the righteous. He condemns the guilty. You're being condemned, Job. You're guilty of something. And then Zophar says, Job, the wicked people, they have great wealth only for a time, and then destruction comes. Kind of like you had great wealth for a time, and destruction came. And so there is Job, and he tells his friends, terrible comforters you are. And as we said before, with friends like that, right, who needs enemies? And so there is the story of how Job's interactions go from chapters 3 all the way to some 37 or 38. And then there 
God speaks up and he answers Job. Because Job basically said, God, I'm innocent. You know it. I haven't done anything wrong. I've cared for the orphan. I've cared for the widow. I've cared for the poor. I've loved my neighbor. I haven't hated my enemies. I've given to you. I've been generous. I've loved my family. I've been faithful. He said, God, you know that I haven't done wrong. So now, God, you're the one in the court. You're, you're, you're the one who, who's, who's being tested right now. You're being cross-examined, God. Give your reason for making me suffer as I am. And God speaks up and says, Who is this that darkens knowledge with words without knowledge? Basically, God's like, Joel, do you know what you're talking about? Do you you know who I am? And God lists off some 70-plus questions saying, Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I hung the stars? When I told the ocean, stop right there at the shore, were, were you there, Job? Are you the one who caused the ostrich to have wings but can't fly but runs faster than a horse? Are you the one who made that, Job? And God lists off 70 different questions, and Job is there, and finally he says, I put my hand over my mouth. I got nothing else to say. And God's like, well, I got some more to say. God started talking about these two animals, the behemoth and the leviathan, these great creatures that no one can control. And God says, I can control them. So not only am I all wise, but I'm also all powerful. So Job, you can trust in me when you're going through the mess. And so this is where the conversation goes. And God ends his statements in the end of chapter 41. And then we come to chapter 42. And here, Job speaks for the last time in the book. Would you look with me to your Bibles, Job 42, verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6. There Job is, still shaved head, boils head to toe, torn clothes. Life is a mess. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Can you say all things? And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's quoting God there. And he says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then he quotes God again in verse 4. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And Job replies, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I love Job's response. What Job is basically saying is, God, you are greater than my wildest imaginations. You are far greater than anything I experienced. And you might be thinking, how does that help Job when his family is gone, His wealth is taken, and he's got boils head to toe, and he's got a wife who hates his guts right now, telling him to to curse God. How does that help Job? Well, notice what Job says. He says, God, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And I was wondering, what is Job meaning by this? Is he saying, I already knew this, or I've learned this? I'm sure all of us who believe in God and his existence can say, I believe God can do all things. I think all of us who believe in God's existence can say that. So Job is saying that, but that's not rocket science. But what what is Job meaning here? And what I think he's meaning is that I've known this intellectually, but but now my eyes are seeing it experientially. 
I've known one thing, but now I'm seeing it with my own eyes. God, you can do all things. This is more, this is going from head now to heart. Job's saying textbooks can't contain our God. Words can't explain him. Imaginations can't retain him. Job is saying, God, I'm realizing now what was here in my head, it has to enter my heart. God, you can do all things. When you come to the realization that God can do all things, that matters when life stinks. That matters when you're in that valley. That matters when you're in pain, when you're facing adversity. Job says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Man, I was, I was sitting this week preparing for this, and I was thinking, man, I, I talk a lot about God. <laughs> I stand up here every Sunday for about 40 minutes and talk to you about God. And I felt convicted and confronted, saying, at the same time, God, I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, you've revealed yourself to me in your word, and I know what is true. And it is true that God is omnipotent, which is to say he's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's omniscient, which means he knows all things. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere present. That's true. I believe it. God is unchanging. He's immutable. And these are true things, but do I really know those things? I mean, I can say them. I believe them. I've experienced some things to a certain extent. But do I really know my eternal God, who knows no beginning or ending? And I hear Job basically humbled there. It's like, maybe my theology is, is on point, and it should be. But it's still not enough. My God is more than that. It's just more than that. So when Job sees God's ways and thinks God is unjust, he says, God, I'm realizing here. There are some things that you do that I don't understand, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. It means that I don't understand. And this is where Job is at. I think sometimes we become too formulaic about our faith for those of us who are followers of Jesus. We, come, we become very two plus two equals four. You do good things and you do some more good things, that equals a good life. And we learn from the book of Job that's not the kind of math that God operates by. Jesus plus nothing is what equals everything. And everything we receive at that point is God's grace. And nothing we can earn, but everything we receive because God is love. So don't become too formulaic about your faith or even in your pain. But know what is true is that there is a God who is in control and that you don't really understand fully all that he does. And that's okay. And Job said, it's far too wonderful for me to understand and he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of ears, but now my eye sees you. Don't let your faith be the kind of faith that stays in the hearing about God. Hearing people talk about God, learning from others about God, but never, quote, seeing God for yourself. See, what Job means here is obviously he's not, he may or may not have had a vision. We don't know. He says the Lord came out of the whirlwind, spoke out of the whirlwind, but did he take some sort of bodily form? We're not told that he did that. So in a sense, Job didn't see anything. In a sense, he saw everything. And see, when God gives us spiritual eyes, he helps us see God and his hand at work everywhere and primarily through his word. So let's not just hear about God, but let's see him working in his word and in our lives. Let your faith be experiential 
and not just something you hear about. See, this matters when we're suffering, family. This matters a lot. Sometimes we think, I, I just need a verse. Give me a Romans 8.28, take two doses of that, and I'll be good. And that says God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And sometimes we think it's that easy, and we know it's just not that easy. We can know he's going to work it out for good, but that doesn't comfort me maybe at the moment. I've got, I've got to hold on to who God is and his character, and that's what Job is doing here. He's realizing God is greater. And so when you're sitting down and you're, it's in quiet and it's dark and you're struggling, you hold on to what is true of God. And as Job concludes, you can trust our God. When Dr. Cause says you got cancer, I can trust in you, God. Someone in your family dies or has died and you're struggling. I can trust this God. I was facing financial hardship when my relationships are on the rocks. When someone worked unjustly toward me at the workplace or said a word to me because of the color of my skin or because of my socioeconomic background. Or when I'm facing hardship from my face, you can say, I can trust this God because he's with me. That's what Job concludes. When life doesn't make sense, I can still trust my God because he's all wise and all powerful. That matters in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't want, as one one artist says, I don't want cute quotes. I want my God. I'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but as I listen to Christmas music on the radio, and some of it's so fun, but I'm like, I don't want, you know, Santa down a chimney. I don't want bells jingling. I want word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. I want my God, right? That, that's what matters. Go ahead and sing the other songs. They're fun. But we want, we want the truths of God's word. We, we don't want happy-go-lucky. God makes us joyful. He does. So we need to turn to him. Job speaks these words and and then God speaks up again. It says that Job repent. He says in verse 6, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God never accuses Job of sinning against him in all this. God doesn't. He never tells Job you need to repent. Now maybe Job was teetering on the line of arrogance in some of his accusations toward God. But God just sees this is a man who's struggling. But God does have a problem with some people in this story. Let's look at verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Powerful there. See, this is why we should tremble a little bit when we speak about God and claim to be his mouthpiece. I always get a little leery when people say, the Lord told me. I'm like, well, be sure he told you before you say the Lord told me. If it doesn't match with the scriptures, as I've told you guys before, if they don't give you the word, don't give them your ear. 
We need to know the truths of the scriptures here. And Job's friends, there was some truth in what they said, that generally speaking, it is true that the righteous will thrive and the wicked will be punished. But there are circumstances where the righteous will suffer and the wicked will prosper. But they didn't have room for that in their formula. So when we come before God and his word and we come before others, let's make sure the words on our lips line up with the words of the scripture. And don't just pull the verse out because that can lead you to all kinds of crazy stuff. Every cult that has a Christian root of some sort had a verse behind their belief. And what they didn't do was test that in light of the entirety of Scripture and see how does this make sense in its context? How does this make sense in light of the book of Psalms or the book of Matthew or John? That's called biblical theology. It means understanding what God is telling us holistically. Say, now what do I then say in light of these things? His friends didn't do that, and God's like, my anger burns against you because you found yourself misrepresenting me. That's something we don't want to do. But I find it fascinating, don't you, that God says, offer these sacrifices, and when Job prays for you, I'll forgive you. And I'm sure Job is in the corner like, really, God? <laughs> I'm, I'm here like boils head to toe. They just accused me, and you're finally telling them that, that they were wrong, and now, now I got to pray for them? Isn't that, isn't that how it works? See, what I find fascinating here, and, and, and I don't know if this is the main thrust here, but I find it fascinating that God puts the ball in Job's court and says, Job, you got to forgive these guys and pray for them in your adversity. Forgiveness is not an easy thing to do when you're struggling, especially when people have said things that have not been very kind. Sometimes people intend well and say totally wrong, and other times people intend wrong and are just mean. But what God says here is for Job to forgive his friends and to pray for them, and then God would forgive them. And Job is now given a choice whether or not he's going to forgive his friends and pray for them. And we're not told that he struggles here at all, because here in verse 9, So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So Job did pray for them. Job had to forgive them in order to pray for them. As you've got to forgive those who sinned against you. I don't mean that lightly because I know some of you have experienced some great hurt at the hands of other people. Forgiveness is a choice we've got to make because if we let unforgiveness seep in, it will steal your joy and take your life. I guarantee you that. But, but forgiveness is not sweeping their offense under the rug. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not becoming a floor mat for their offenses so it keeps happening. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, I'm going to let go of that so that my heart can be right with God here. Forgiveness is saying, I know I've been forgiven with my offenses before an almighty, holy God, so I'm going to choose to forgive you. Forgiveness allows you to release from the bondage of bitterness. Hold fast to God and his grace. Don't let unforgiveness steal your joy and steal your life because it will do both. And so here, Job, the innocent, is asked to intercede for the guilty. Does that sound familiar? See, the book of Job is a book, as all books of the Bible do, that points us to Jesus. 
the ultimate innocent one who suffered unjustly. The one who did no wrong but was crucified by the very people he spoke into existence. The creator was killed by his creation when Jesus went to the cross. The innocent died on behalf of the guilty so that the innocent can now intercede before the Father on behalf of the guilty. This is what Jesus does for all of God's children. For all of you who put your faith in in Jesus, he stands in heaven. Before the Father, he shed blood, evident, the nails in his hands, the holes in his hands. And the Father sees Jesus, and he looks at him and sees you and says, you are forgiven because he took the death that you deserved. The innocent has interceded for the guilty. And that's the hope that we have in the scriptures. And that's what Job exemplifies towards his friends. And so God does what he said he would do and forgives Job's friends. So now Job has been shown right before his friends and now it's his family in verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. We see that God restores Job's fortunes. I was thinking about this because a lot of times when I read this, I have a little bit of a hard time with this. Because you notice here in verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than in his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep instead of 7,000, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. That's double of what he had before. And I read that and I'm thinking, God, do you always do that? Because <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I've lost some things. I haven't got it back. <laughs> you know? Here we got to do biblical theology. The righteous will be vindicated always, if not in this life, surely in the next. Hear me here, okay? And the Bible is chock full of both examples. Take Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave into Egypt, was lied about, thrown in prison, pulled out, and God puts him as a second rank in all of Egypt. And when his brothers came to him, he said, Brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. His righteousness was vindicated. He was shown to be right. Or take Daniel, who chose to pray when they told him, don't pray. He's looking out the window praying to his God. They throw him in a lion's den. Surely he would have died the next morning. The king comes. Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel says, I'm here, O king. My God shut the mouth of the lion. He was vindicated. Or Mordecai, the the uncle of Esther, who's there, a man who was persecuted by Artaxerxes, or by the, by the Persians there. A man who had a death sentence on his head ended up rising to second in rank in all the land and saved God's people along with Esther. He was vindicated. So God does what he did for Job here in people's lives. And maybe some of you are saying, he's doing that for me. I lost everything, but what I've got now is far greater than what I ever had. Not, 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 not just talking money here, I'm talking life. Then we have James in Acts 13.1 who was put to death by the sword. We have Stephen in Acts 7 who was stoned to death. We have Paul who was shipwrecked and beaten 
And then we have Jesus who was crucified. The righteous will be vindicated. Not in this life, surely in the next. And Job is showing us his story. His life is showing us God gets the last word always. And he does so in choosing to cause Job's latter days to prosper. Well, here's a part I've been excited about. People often ask us where we got our daughter's name from. And I tell them it's from the book of Job, and they said, really? I said, yes. See, on the year before Keziah was born, Erica and I had been trying for a child for about a year and a half. And it took us about eight months or so to get pregnant, and uh, we're obviously very excited. Uh, it was May uh, when we began to find things out and started, just started telling our family when um, Erica started having cramping in her stomach. And, and we went to the doctor and, and indeed found out she was having a miscarriage. And I remember how dark those days were for us. I mean, it, it was, uh, up to this time, <laughs> the hardest time we've experienced as a family, uh, just Erica and I. And I remember not knowing always what to do um, and how to comfort my wife. And she didn't always know how to express what she was feeling. And maybe you've been in there before in life. Similar boat or a different one. Well, you, just, you just don't know. You don't know what to say or do. But one thing we knew what to do was to open God's word. We said, God, you need, you need to give us a word here. We need your help. And um, I don't remember if we agreed to do this together or if it just was God and his providence did it. But we both picked up the book of Job. And began to work through it a chapter at a time. And during those dark days. And when we came to chapter 42, um, God just made something really clear to us. Because he blesses Job in a way that we said, God, if you choose ever to bless us this way, we're going to name our daughter Keziah for this reason. Verse 14, and he called, I'm sorry, in verse 15, Job also had seven sons and three daughters. Remember, that's what he had lost before. God gives him seven more sons and three more daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Kirin Hapuk. And in all the land, there was no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And so we said, God, if you give us a daughter, we'll name her Keziah. And our daughter, indeed, is a, just a reminder of God's faithfulness. If not, for all of us, we haven't received that kind of reminder you need to know today that the God of Job is the God of you through faith in Jesus, who will always have your back and ultimately will bring you to glory where all his promises are yes and amen. Last for a couple of verses. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job, Job died an old man full of days full of days. When Satan asks God, does Job fear you for no reason? We get 42 chapters that tell us the answer to that question. And this is what God wants us to walk away with today. If you are a follower of Jesus, don't let your faith be as good as your comfort. Job says, I've lost everything, but I'm still here before the God, my God, in ashes, not knowing that God's going to restore everything, but I'm going to worship the Lord. And so the way you make your faith strong is by holding fast to this God and to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. 
That's the first thing I want us to remember. Second thing is this. We've seen in Job's life that what's true for us is that your pain has a purpose. Your suffering is not meaningless in the hands of a merciful God. It's not meaningless. The tears you cry, the pain you feel, it's not meaningless. There is a loving God behind every, every cloud. There is a smiling face of a loving God. And we've said this before, but because your life has purpose means you can never take it, please. Job never contemplates taking his life. Job never hurts himself to deal with the pain. Job comes to his God and he cries, he mourns. And again, we've said before, but if you're in a place today and you're contemplating the value of your life, if you should take it, please, please, please don't hurt yourself and please do talk to someone and seek help. You must, must do that. You are made in God's image and you have value and worth in the hands of God. I also want us to understand that it's okay to mourn. We see that in Job. It's okay to cry. We also see that we need to process adversity in light of the cross of Jesus where we have redemption and hope. Don't abandon ship when the waves are battering the boat. When the rain is falling on your life, don't abandon ship. Keep in your faith in Jesus and he will see you through it. The last thing I think about is when, uh, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, I want to know God and the power of his resurrection. And all of us say yes and amen. And then he says, in the fellowship of his suffering. And all of us say, no, thank you, Lord. I want to know your power. I don't want to know your suffering. But in the suffering, Paul understands that he can get to know his God better. And he says, if in my suffering there is something redemptive and beautiful that comes out of it, take it, Lord. I don't, I don't want to suffer. It's not sadistic. We're not, we're not trying to hurt ourselves. We're saying, God, I know that this life has pain, and God, I'll, I know you're going to see me through it, so if it may be pain. Let it be, oh Lord, and I'll trust you. God has a purpose in that. Well, I'm reminded lastly of Job's response. I want to close with this and say, let it be said of us. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Family of God, Brooke family, let's walk with each other through the valleys. Let's hold each other's hands. Don't isolate yourself. Surround yourself with people. And get to know the beauty of this thing called the church and the loving compassion of our God who sent his son Jesus on our behalf. If you don't know Jesus today, uh, you're missing out. You're missing out on something special. You're missing out on what it means to be a child of God. You're missing out on what it means to be forgiven and having eternal hope. And we'd love for you to know that. Yeah, I'm going to invite our prayer team. Would you guys come on up? Uh, if you don't know this Jesus I'm talking about, maybe you've heard of him, as Job says, but never seen him. Let us, let us pray with you, family. Let's pray with you. The rest of us, let's rise to our feet. And as we sing this closing song, shout the glory of God. Uh, let's sing with joy and with conviction. 
And again, our prayer team is here to pray with you so that you can know you're not alone. You're not alone. There's a God who's always with you, and you're not alone. The family of God is here. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this 42-chapter book and all the promises that you give us through it. Lord, when life doesn't make sense, we put our feeble faith in the hands of a strong God. And so, God, may we sing this song, believing that with conviction, God. Deepen our faith. Sink our roots into the soil of your character. And may we know the comfort of your spirit in these times. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.